Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 132 of Beer and Athletes, the podcast adjunct series. We are back in the building. Folks, uh, everywhere, I always say we've got a special one because we always do. So, you know, I've been uh, talking and yapping your ears off uh, recently about, uh, you know, we're in Florida for a month in April, and we had some great travels on the way down, on the way back up, uh, you know, doing the drive. And my favorite discovery of the trip was North Carolina. So I typically would think of myself as a relatively well, you know, I, I keep tabs on what's going on in beer everywhere, but North Carolina blew my head off, guys. Like, I didn't realize that it was that good. I just really had no idea. And one of the breweries that I went to, which was my favorite discovery of the trip, is who we're speaking to tonight. So I was very, very excited. Um, I'm just going to get this going because I have a lot of questions. I'm excited to uh, crush some beer and, uh, and yap about it. So guys, please welcome... Chris from Resident Culture, Winnebago. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Great to meet you, man. What an introduction! Thank you. <laughs> Had, I brought the audience for you. Yeah, love that's it. That's great. Uh, really yeah, appreciate it. Oh, genuinely appreciate it, man. Um, like I was saying in the intro, um, we went down. So we went through. You know, we we're in Miami for the month, and we drove back through Orlando, went to Atlanta, we, and we stayed in Charlotte, and uh, went through Asheville on the way. And I've never been. Um, I knew about Asheville, but I didn't know about Charlotte. So I had a friend in Charlotte. I was like, dude, um, I was supposed to meet him. He was sick, but he, I was like, okay, cool. Can you give me a list? Because I have, I don't know where to start. So he gave me a list for both cities. I went through Instagrams, followed them all, and and decided on, in Charlotte, I decided on uh, Resident Culture and Salud. And I was blown away. At, and I went like an hour before close on like a Tuesday or something. Like it wasn't even the best time to go, M Monday even. Um, but I, it was like the tap room was was jamming. This, I had a great chat. I think his name was Steven, the bartender. He said he's yeah, been there yeah. since it, he was a legend. Um, I was yeah. just blown away, man. Like uh, the whole state was such a – that whole day was just such a great experience. So I, I was really, really excited to chat with you. So Steven gave me your card and um, someone else's as well. So I reached out when I got back and um, yeah, I'm just, I couldn't believe it. I just feel like I was almost mad because it felt like it was like this, uh, you know, best kept secret thing that no one had, like, why hadn't anyone raved to me about you guys specifically, but about the state in general. So I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm here for it. And I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad that uh, Steven took care of you and you had a great time. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're one of, many great breweries in North Carolina. We're just trying to follow the lead from all these other breweries that came before us. It's really, I kind of feel like North Carolina is ahead of the curve on, from a lot of other States. They've, hmm. they've been in the craft beer um, scene a bit longer and the, the laws here are a little more generous to craft breweries. So we have, right. we have a pretty well established scene. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you, uh, enjoyed yourself and had a good time at our tap room. That's great. Oh yeah. So shall we get into some beer and uh, we'll get yapping. So the first yeah, one we are going to do a new beer right here. Let's get that focus. Yeah. Come on. There she is. Get on there. There we go. I got mine. Yeah. You got it. Perfect. Right time premium lager right here. So this is a new one. I actually saw this. I remember seeing this on the Instagram, uh, not long after I came back, it is a 4.5, um, 
percent is this like an like based on the you know the short can is it like an american light lager is that the intention yeah yeah it's basically our pbr clone and okay. um Fine. i i've been in the industry for a while i'm good friends with a lot of brewers and to be honest like for as much as we all love craft beer what we all go back to most often is like a miller high life or a pbr or a hams i don't know like in canada what your what your you know Macro, cheap drinkers are, 50. yeah you know i, I think good. like these days brewers are not shy to admit that they appreciate the craftsmanship that <laughs> is required to brew a beer like this consistently um and like we they're just enjoyable to drink so we act we you know literally tried to replicate a pbr as best as we could and i'm That's not a, ashamed um and yeah this is just meant to be like you can the branding is meant to be tongue-in-cheek and yeah cheers 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 yes cheers cheers brother mm. um delicious it's it's you know we're just like we're not trying to take ourselves too seriously with this beer um the branding is supposed to be kind of retro um should hopefully reminds you of like kind of an old timey american lager and i can see that the, the, we're just getting started with kind of the branding and marketing of it, but there's a lot of fun, silly kind of marketing opportunities with the name um, that we have planned. Um, so we're just trying to have fun with this one. And like sometimes my motto in the brewery is it's just beer. <laughs> and I think we all, we all take it a little too seriously, myself included sometimes. And, Really, it should just be fun, and uh, sometimes it should just take a backseat to the conversation you're having with the person next to you, and um, it shouldn't point. be something you have to think about, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I've noticed this has become more, when I say this, meaning like a, you know, craft breweries making their own versions of light lagers has become more of a thing recently, and like you said, it sounds like it's, it's definitely brewer-driven. It's what the brewers want to drink, like, you know? You're not trying to go for an 8% double IPA after, you know, nine hours sweating. So this is, uh, you know, like whilst brewers, and you're 100% right with brewers are all going for the macro and they're not ashamed for it. I've Nobody is ashamed, to be honest. I feel like everyone happily says, yeah, I'll crush a Miller Lite or I'll crush whatever it is. Um, this is just like a really cool alternative. I, I, I didn't grow up here, so I'm not, I, I don't love the macro stuff, but I can yeah. very much get behind the uh, the craft version of it. It's just like it's it's great. It's just so inoffensive. You know, we're coming into summer. It's uh, the perfect kind of beer for the season. You got the right packaging for it and the cute little short cans. You know, don't get not enough time for them to get warm. It's money. It's exactly what you want yeah. out of these, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, the it's fun. It's not not meant to be too serious yeah no 100 percent. it's 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 truly not and i like that and that's interesting being that you know the impression that i got of resident cultures obviously you guys are doing a lot of the beers that uh you know would be considered hyped so i think it's even cooler that a brewery that would come under that category is like no fuck that like you know we're we're just going to do something that, that we like and it happens to be this so it's i think it's great dude sweet the, how's you. it gone so far how's the response 
Great, honestly. Um, Fantastic. It's been crushing through the tap room. I mean, it's it's at a pretty low price point, which is nice. That was that was another kind of purpose behind the beer is to uh, most of our beer, I think, is at a higher price point um, in the market mm-hmm. um, for good reason. I mean, we're dry hopping our beers at four to six pounds per barrel, so they're not cheap to make, but. Um, it's nice to have a beer that we can offer to accounts, um, at a lower kind of entry level price point. Um, but yeah, so far, so far, so good. I think people are digging it. And like I said, I think there's still a lot of, uh, marketing opportunities that we're excited about, but so we're going to try to push pretty hard. Yeah. Mm. How close to PBI do you think, uh, these beers? I haven't had a PBI for a while, but. Pretty close. I mean, yeah. like you'd be surprised like the color like pbr is actually like kind of a deeper golden color than you might think it's not actually like that light it's like a little sweet like this beer's Mm. purposefully like has a little bit of like malty sweetness getting that yes uh, which like i when you know most usually when we're drinking pbr we're not thinking too much about it and just crushing them back but like Mm -hmm. when we made this beer we actually like got a case of PBR, did sensory on it, wow. like took a bunch of um, numbers on it. And like, we were, we were a little surprised by the, some of the, some of the numbers that came back. Um, and it makes sense. I don't know. It's like, you don't want it to be drinking water. You want like a multi backbone to it. Um, it's very low hop, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice. It has a lot of flavor and, and, some body and it's still really crushable, but yeah. Great, great description. That's exactly what I'm getting. I'm like, I, I couldn't in my head, like picture it to as far as what the taste, but the taste is pretty similar. Do you think that you, the actual end result is like, is it more like an elevated PBR or is it like, yeah, I mean, I think PBR is a great beer. I like all jokes aside. I think I wouldn't, I don't think that I can elevate it any more than (laughs) (laughs) Than it is. But yeah, like we're, we're striving for, for a PBR and I think we came pretty close. Hopefully PBR is no one from PBR is listening to this podcast (laughs) because I get a CMD, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those guys are a little litigious. Um, Nailed it. This is, this is fantastic. And I guess imagine everyone's been loving a good price point. It's probably like, like you said, tons of marketing opportunities, like, cases or 12 packs and things like that and yeah that's definitely coming down the pipeline and with the summer coming up i'm sure it'll only increase in sales so yeah i can imagine so great stuff bro love it so first things first let's get into your personal beer history so how did you personally get into craft beer and then how did you get involved with uh, resident culture yeah good question um i got into craft beer in austin texas actually um Gosh, I forget how long ago that was now, 10 years ago or something. I was uh, I was actually just working in like tech at like a startup and did not enjoy it uh, and got laid off. I was homebrewing at the time um, and I had some severance and I was like, I'd always from the first day I started homebrewing, I was like, I want to start a brewery someday. So when I got laid off, I was just like, let's go for it. Um, so I started volunteering at local breweries and one of them hired me to work on the bottling line. Um, that was a brewery called independence brewing company, uh, great brewery in, in Austin, Texas, uh, who's grown a lot since I left, but 
yeah, just, I worked my way up, um, at independence, just making 10 bucks an hour on the back of the bottling line and couldn't have been happier. Uh, worked my way into a, a seller position there and then kind of on a whim applied to a job posting at Russian river in California Wow! and really unexpectedly heard back from them and they flew me out for an interview, which was to me at the time crazy that they would fly one brewer out across the country uh, for like a seller position. Um, and it went really well. They, I must have done something right. And I uh, got the job at Russian River, which was, you know, still is, I think, the best brewery in the world and at least one of my favorites and one of my brewing idols. So that was killer. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a game changer for me, for sure. Um, my wife and I moved out to California for that job. Um, God bless her. She's, she's followed me all around the country, uh, because of my job. And it's, you know, I'm sure from the brewers you've talked to, you know, it's not a super lucrative, uh, business that we're in. Um, it's more about the passion, um, than the money. So it's not like (laughs) we're raking in the, the dollars, but, um, she's supported me every step of the way, but yeah, we moved out to California and I worked at Russian river for a couple of years. Um, kind of worked my way up there and started in the cellar. And then, um, pretty soon after I got hired, one of the brewers at the pub, um, put in his notice and they moved me up to brewer like pretty much right away. So, you know, really in the span of like a few years, I went from home brewing to like brewing at Russian river. So a lot of, Crazy. Good fortune, in way for sure. Yeah. So you know the um, recipe to Pliny. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I know that they've changed it over the years. To his credit, um, Vinny has like tried to stay relevant and like does rest on his laurels. I would say, and you know, the rate at which we were dry hopping Pliny the Elder six or seven years ago probably just wouldn't stand up to the beers these days. So I, I don't know the recipe, but yeah, we got to, I got to, I was one of the pub brewers there, which was awesome because we got to brew all the beers, um, plenty of the younger, plenty of the elder, every one off, um, the pills, like dribble belt was one of my favorites, little session IPA. Blind pig. Um, so many, yeah, of course, blind pig. Um, so many great beers. Um, and then we'd all, the, the, actually, I really liked this about Russian River. All the brewers kind of did everything there um, from packaging beer to cellar work to brewing, uh, kegging, uh, cleaning kegs. So you really got to touch every part of the process, which was really nice. Uh, so that was hands down where I learned. I've, I learned a lot at Independence, but every Russian River is really where I kind of sunk my teeth in and learned everything that I used to start resident culture. Um, yeah. So when I was at Russian river, one of my, it was my college roommate was did, um, a banking deal or something with my current partner, Philip. Um, and he had heard that Philip was starting a brewery in Charlotte and they needed a brewer and they kind of put me in touch. Um, Philip flew out to California and met me, and uh, we hit it off and they kind of talked about what they had plans here in Charlotte and 
my wife and I actually had met in North Carolina and university um, at Wake Forest and had some, some connections to people here in North Carolina and had always kind of tossed around the idea of moving back. So it all kind of worked out, you know, it was a good opportunity for me to start a brewery with very low risk, um, low investment. Um, it was all sweat equity. Um, and I kind of got to make some mistakes on someone else's dime, if you will. <laughs> Luckily, didn't make, didn't make too many mistakes. Um, but yeah, it was great. I had, they gave me pretty much full control over the brewing operations. Um, had a lot of, uh, input on the, the brew house design and the layout of the brewery. Um, all of, you know, the naming, I mean, I named the brewery, I named all the beers, I decide what we're going to brew. I have a big hand in kind of the marketing behind it. Um, so it's been really great. Um, and it's really, you know, it's my baby at this point. Um, but yeah, it's been a long, long road and a lot of things learned, a lot of mistakes made, but I think, uh, we've done a pretty good job of not only making good beers, but, uh, creating a brand that I think can last a long time, which is important. Absolutely, man. That's amazing. So then the first question would be, where does the name come from? Yeah. So one thing, and it's funny nowadays, um, the one thing that I, I had always been passionate about and, um, loved really from my time at Russian river was the mixed culture and wild spontaneous beers. Um, which when we started resident culture was always going to be a focus of ours. Um, and resident culture, the name, uh, comes from the idea of kind of like house yeast culture. Um, gotcha. when we started, we, we kind of developed a house, house mixed culture with yeast that we collected from around the brewery. Um, off of flowers and tree bark and mushrooms and all sorts of stuff. Um, and we, and we, we, we started with a cool ship and we still have a cool ship, uh, that we pull out in the winter, um, to make spontaneous beers. And we actually just released our first spontaneous blends last, last year. Nice. And we're about to release a raspberry version of it. Um, so kind of our framboise, if you will, we won't call it that, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so the resident culture is meant to be, you know, a reflection of the the local unique house yeast culture that we have. And then, you know, we also wanted it to have a double meaning of um, just, you know, the taproom culture that we're cultivating at resident culture, we feel is, is kind of unique to us. And um, we were proud of being a little bit offbeat and welcoming to all and, um, really community focused in a lot of ways. Um, so it kind of felt like it spoke to both, both of those things. Um, it's funny now because mixed culture beer does not sell very well and we've greatly, greatly reduced the amount of mixed culture beer that we're producing. Unfortunately, uh, it just is what it is. Um, but we still, we still make some, some mixed culture beer, um, we probably won't ever let it die completely. Um, but it's a much smaller focus these days, but just gotta kind of got to do what you got to do. But, um, yeah, I get it. I imagine like I was in Montreal for 10 years and out there, they love that shit. They're huge on it. So is it, is it like a, a local, 
um, is it a Charlotte thing? Is it a North Carolina thing? Or do you think it's like a sort of a beer world at large thing where maybe mixed culture has reduced in popular, um, popularity? Yeah. I mean, great question. I think there's just a huge influx of sour beer that came into the market and sour beer is just not a beer that even if it's great, you're just not going to drink it a lot mm. and you're not going to drink a lot of it. And it's kind of a higher price point. So I just don't think the market was ever going to be able to support a lot of breweries making mixed culture beer. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of breweries are making good mixed culture beer. Um, so there was a lot, a lot of good options on the market and it's just, you know, you're not going to go to the, the store and buy 24 bottles of sour beer um, yeah. and bring it home and crush them and then go back the next day, you know, as opposed to like this beer that we're drinking, like you'll buy a case and then next week you'll come back and buy another case, you know? So it's not really a sustainable business model. Unfortunately, it worked for a while for some breweries, but I think at the time it was, such a novelty and the market was not oversaturated that they were able to make it work. But I mean, you know, you're seeing breweries like the rare barrel closing and, you know, these great breweries, phenomenal beer, um, just can't, can't make it work anymore, which is sad, but I guess it's just, that's just the market for you. Fair point. Yeah, it definitely is a shame. And I think it's one of the, the, I mean, they're not the easiest to make. And I imagine that that the brewery, some breweries, I don't know, like Jester King or something like just, you know, also just outside Austin, they're like, you know, just leaning into it. That's their thing. Or Casey in in Colorado there, things like that. That's just, uh, yeah, I see that even now I'm just outside of Toronto and hardly anything here in comparison to Quebec. So maybe just some markets have it, some don't, but I know what you mean. The, um, as far as the beers that you guys do, speaking of that, um, do you remember? Oh, first question, actually, what year was it when the brewery opened? We opened in, I think last year was our six year anniversary. This oh, year wow. will be our seven. So, so 2016? 20, yeah. Okay. Did. I think I have that. Okay. Yeah, that'd be, that'd add up about right. Do you remember the beers that you opened with? Like the first run hey yeah that's yeah that is uh that's a funny question i do it was a lot of west coast ipa because you know i had come from russian river i was like okay we're gonna make lagers and west coast ipas and we did have a couple lagers um just kind of like a real basic berliner weiss i don't even think it was fruited at the time which is funny to me now um couldn't imagine and I think we did have like one hazy pale ale because that was like right about the time when that was kind of starting to blow up. Mm. And I had no experience brewing those beers, um, but it just felt like we needed to try. Um, and then, yeah, very, very quickly we realized like that would that had to be the focus. And we started almost exclusively brewing hazy IPAs. <laughs> And, you know, there's positives and negatives to that. I think overall that has been really, really beneficial to our brand and our brewery. Um, I think it helped, helped us get some recognition out of the gates, mm-hmm. but I've always been um, a huge proponent of loggers and pilsners. 
And that's always been a focus, a strong focus of our um, brewing program. Whenever, and I still to this day, whenever we go to a festival, I always make a point to bring at least one lager, even if it's in cans, just so brewers can drink it. Um, But I, I always wanted like resident culture to be known for lager beer and the other beers are great too. We, we take a lot of pride and put a lot of effort into dialing in our processes on hazy, hazy IPAs and other styles. But, um, those are the beers that I think we are most passionate about as a, as a brewing team and personally, um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a good opportunity to crack open one of these next ones. I don't want to blow like up your that. spot. But. No, you're not at all. You, I appreciate that. You're participating. This is beautiful. I love it. Um, so I think we might deviate here potentially okay. um, so that we can cover some more wider style. So you're going to keep on the, the crispy train. Do you want to tell me what I do or should I just pick? I don't mind being guided here. Since you, are, you, you pick whatever you're, whatever okay. you're interested in. Well, whilst I'm picking, do you want to show what uh, which one you're going to go next? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go for probably my favorite beer that we brew, which is Riding for the Feeling. Um, this is a flagship of ours too, Italian Pilsner. Oh, I love that. Um, oh, let me uh, just show the people which one you've got right there. So that's this guy. Yep. Italian Pils is so sick. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, um, pro- like I said, probably my favorite beer that we brew really hop forward with, um, these great noble hops that we get direct from a small family farm in Germany, um, uh, which I've been out to visit. Um, and they, they grow phenomenal hops. Um, and they also source, uh, great hops from other local, small family run farms, um, mostly in the Hollertau region. Some, some of the hops come from Tetnang. Um, well, those are both, but yeah, this, I didn't know that. What's that? Both of those hops are actual named after regions. Yeah. 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 Ah, No shit. That's That's cool. Yep. Um, yeah. So we went, we visited the Hallertau region, um, where middle fruit is obviously grown, but also Herzbrucker is comes from um, our Herzbrucker comes from Hallertau as well. Okay. And then uh, Saphir is one of my favorite hops. Um, that's, that is grown locally as well. I believe that is one of the hops that's sourced from a different farm, but the Herzbrucker and the, the middle fruit come direct from sites farm in um, Volznach, Volznach. I always mispronounce it um, from Hallertau. Yeah, this is great. It's just like, it's basically an amped up German pills with a dry hop of noble hops. So really kind of floral, herbal, um, you get some tea like qualities, a little bit of bitterness, um, crushable, but a lot of flavor and like those hops really shine through. Um, yeah, this is just, yeah, this is one of the beers that I, I'm really proud of and I, I try to bring with me to festivals often and share with other brewers. I love it. The what is the actual difference then between an Italian Pilsner and say like a Czech or a German Pilsner? Yeah, I mean a Czech Pils is is 
typically going to be a lot maltier, a little sweeter. And they, they kind of balance that with a lot of the bitterness. Right? It depends on the region, but a lot of hops and bitterness. Um, but yeah, generally those beers are a little sweeter and more full bodied. Um, and then they also have like a touch of diacetyl typically, um, a German pills is going to be a little cleaner, um, also bitter and, and hoppy, but not quite as like heavily hopped because um, it's just a little drier. So it doesn't need as many hops to balance that sweetness. And in my, my, my view on the Italian pills is it's really, it's really a German Pilsner that's dry hopped with a noble hopping, um, a noble dry hop. Um, typically it's done at a cooler temperature. I, we actually, we've gone back and forth on a cool, a cold dry hop. Um, and we've settled on, we, we dry hop this during our diacetyl rest, um, right around 60 Fahrenheit. It, it's usually around 56 to 60 Fahrenheit. Um, I don't, apologies. I don't know the Celsius translation off the top of my head, but. Like single um, digits, I think. Single digits? Yeah, maybe or 10. No. Like, yeah. Yeah, it'll be higher than that. But. Higher than that? Okay, so maybe early, between 10 and ten and 15 probably. I can yeah, that. we have, uh, there you go, we yeah. have Google. Uh, we have Google, right now. 15. Should... It's 15. Uh, yeah, that's oh. our dry hop. Um, okay. Or a little bit, yeah, 12 to 15. But yeah, um, and, then, and then this gets an extensive lagering period as well. Um, right. So treated very similarly to a, a German Pilsner. Um, and we use a German lager yeast on this as well, but we, we do dry hop it, which is the main difference. So it's, it's got a lot more of those like aromatics and hop flavor, um, more, more so than like a German Pils. Gotcha. Interesting. I always feel like I could, if I did a blind, I could identify an Italian Pilsner. They're always so unique, but I never knew what yeah. the defining factor of an Italian Pilsner really was. So it sounds like it's mostly the dry hop. Yeah, it yeah. really, it lends that herbal like, floral thing that you won't, you won't really get that on a German Pilsner. Right. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I opted to go with uh, one of your flagships to show that yeah. this is lightning drops. Come on, catch him on there. This has got a sick label. Um, I actually bought a can of this when I went at Steven suggested it would be a good one to, uh, to grab. I always like to get flagships at a new brewery that or new to me brewery, because I feel like it's, it's cool to get the, the, the one-offs. So I think that they're fantastic and fun, but I really feel like you get to kind of know the personality of the brewery a little more through a, um, through a flagship, because if this is the beer that they've chosen to represent their brand year round, then there's something about this that must be special. Whereas to the brewery, it might be a bit, or, you know, someone serving it where well, you always have it. But for me, it's just, oh, cool, this is fun. Um, yeah, man, tell me about this one. So it's a 6.5% uh, hazy IPA. Great. Yeah, uh, yeah we um, we took a lot of time and took everything we kind of learned over the years uh, brewing hazy IPAs to formulate this recipe. We, I mean, we've been around for seven years and this beer has only been around for probably four of those years. So we had okay. a lot of trial and error those first few years dialing in our process for, for uh, hazy IPAs. And I, I like still to this day, I don't, I do not 
find that style to be easy to brew. Um, really? There's okay. just a lot. Of, yeah. I, we've had our challenges over the years for sure. I think it's really hard to balance such a huge dry hop with no bitterness um, and just creating like a really smooth, soft, drinkable beer that is so heavily dry hops is really challenging. Mm. Um, That's fair. But we've, we've, I, I won't say we've figured it out, but we've come to a process that works pretty well for us. And we're, we're really happy with the results. Um, this, this features like our favorite hops and I, we go out to hop selection every year and, um, personally select the lots that we're using. Um, and I will say originally this beer featured, um, Citra Mosaic Galaxy, which at the time was probably our very favorite hop, but I'm not, are you, are, where are you from? Are you from? from, uh, Yep. 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 Yeah. The galaxy is an Australian hop, but the qual, I think there was just like a gold rush on galaxy and they started planting a bunch of field as they just knew people would pay anything for it. And the quality just dropped off a lot. And I know I'm not that. the only one. To that way. Yeah, um, a lot of brewers. Yeah. It's, a, it's really unfortunate because it truly was a remarkable hop. Like six years ago, it was insane. I mean, it was worth every yeah. dollar of $35 a pound we would pay for it. Um, but yeah, these days it's just, it's like really harsh almost if you use too much of it um, yep. and a little vegetal and I get almost like a cocoa powder thing. It's weird. Hmm. Uh, we've had to dump actually a beer, probably the last one of the last beers we ever had to dump was a all galaxy beer that we brewed. This was years, a few years ago, but yeah, it's disappointing, but we, we made the call to change, change up that hop hmm. to uh, strata, which is probably my one of my favorite kind of newer hops. Um, and we are able to hand select that hop. So that was another benefit. Amazing. It's also a bit cheaper, which is nice. Um, but that hop is just, it's great. I think it's super versatile and can stand on its own, but it's also great in a, in a combination with hops like Citra and Mosaic. Um, but yeah, this kind of just hits all those notes that you're looking for i think in a hazy ipa it's very citrus tropical forward very mellow and drinkable our our um customer base really gravitates towards lower abv ipas like the double ipas sell pretty well but by far like single ipas sell the best for us um which is nice i mean they're they're more enjoyable to brew and for me i like a, i like lower abv beers personally um but i know certain like if you don't have five double ipas on your tap list then <laughs> no one's gonna come so i'm grateful that that's not what our market is like but yeah this is just you know it's our flagship so we want it to be really drinkable very easy um approachable it's very low bitterness, um, obviously, and very tropical and citrus forward, which I think hits a lot of those notes that people are looking for in a hazy IPA. Hundred uh, percent, great mouthfeel. It's a little dank. Um, yeah, that little that pithiness sort of in there, so it's yeah. not bitter or anything, but it's like it's, it almost gives the impression maybe of some resin or something. Maybe that's the uh, yeah. the Russian River coming through. 
um, which I quite like in, in a style like this. Like you said, it's, you know, sometimes it's cool to have them all like, I feel like this is more common almost than, you know, the maybe the the old school, I don't want to call it old school, but the Trillium style, like straight bright tropical fruits with nothing else. And then this sort of like that dankness through it, it just gives us like a little yeah, yeah. bit more character maybe yeah. to, to Hayes. We're a big fan of that for sure. Mm. That, uh, that like resiny kind of dank character is something that we like a lot in our IPAs kind of just gives it an edge. I agree. Why did you choose this for your uh, flagship? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was the practicality of hop availability and our ability to control the product um, really well. And hops year to year, lot to lot can vary so greatly. So it was important to me for our flagship to feature hops that I knew that I could hand select every year and reliably get lots that are hitting the notes that we want to hit every year, year after year. Um, whereas, you know, a hop like galaxy, for example, we have very little control over. Um, and these are just, I mean, people see Citra mosaic on the label. They, they kind of know what they're getting and they know it's, it's going to be, good and they're basically cheater hops is what we would say um can't go wrong uh, we know the quality of those hops is great because we're selecting them and we know the beer is going to be good and consistent um and they're great we just love those hops it's i know like people roll their eyes these days at like another citra mosaic ipa and i i agree to some extent like those the beers start tending to taste the same um mm. if you have them all the time and that's i think an issue that we could discuss too um but for a flagship i think you want to go with a tried and true there's going to be a lot of people having that beer that don't drink a lot of ipas or have never had a hazy ipa before because it's getting much more widely distributed and i think you want people's first first uh, experience with your brand and your and your beer to be one that's a little more consistent and, and reliable rather than like some experimental hop that's super unique and interesting but maybe is going to turn some people off right away um mm. which is which is why we have the forever alone series um where we which we can talk about in a, in a bit but we can experiment with new hops and our customers know that it's it's kind of a educational uh, exercise, um, and they're a little more forgiving and kind of understand that it's about it's learn it's that beer series is about learning um, about these new hop varieties and old hop varieties and just like really understanding what each individual hop is bringing to a beer um, and sometimes it doesn't work out that great. I'll be honest, you know, we've had versions <laughs> that don't taste that great. And some hops are just not meant to be used um, singularly by themselves right. and they're much better. But yeah, for the flagship, we just wanted something we knew was going to be reliable and, and tasty and be widely enjoyed. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think it's a smart approach 
to put something that's maybe like you said i haven't thought of it like that that the people who are going to you know i don't find it that boring to be honest a citra mosaic beer because they're very very rarely less than than great like they're you know because you can't yeah. like you said cheetah hop you can't go wrong so i don't know i don't i don't really look at them like oh that's boring to me like i think it's fine but i can see why maybe if people the real haze chases might be a little bored by it but this makes more sense if it's you know the people who are most likely drinking it your local fans would have already had this a million times so they're going to be looking for the the one-offs but the new people that you you know via distro perhaps that are going to discover the brand or uh you know can be impressed with with the recipe i also just not only like I like the explanation of the hops but i uh, the reasoning behind it but i love that it's the it's a recipe you would have done you know all the forever alone series like you would have done one time most likely whereas this you've done for four years regularly so like the recipe's dialed in like it's on point like you know there's you know i'm sure each batch gets you know one percent tweaks to make it slightly better but it's a really great yep. uh, ambassador for the brand when people pick this one up i love that yeah, yeah. Totally. Do, you reckon, do you think it's a fair um if people have this because now i've probably had four five four or five of your hazy IPAs, I'll see if I can find which exact one because the one I had in the tap room was disgusting. It was so good. Um, oh yeah. The, I I feel that. Do you think that this beer represents what the the rest of the stuff that you do? Do you think it's like a nice little sort of intro? Is it like similar, or do you do like such a, a breadth? I, I'm even talking just within the New England style. Yeah. No, I do. I do think it's a really good representation. Um, I think, you know, when we were first starting, that's how we, I, I think got a lot of our hype was behind our hazy IPAs and mm -hmm. we've tweaked our recipes so much over the years, but everything we've learned has kind of guided us towards that recipe. And, you know, subsequently new hazy IPAs we make are really always based on that beer and we're tweaking if it's a collab that is maybe an exception where we're using new techniques that from another brewer that we don't normally, but usually we're just experimenting with new hops and the process comes from lightning drops. Um, but, and, and that's true really of single and double IPAs and triple IPAs. The process is, is generally pretty, pretty similar. Um, there are some exceptions, but, yeah, that, that beer is a really good representation of, of what we do on the hoppy, the hazy side, at least. Um, and yeah, I think, I think our, like our doubles and triples are obviously much heavier hopped mm -hmm. and higher gravity of course, but, uh, the general principles, <clears throat> excuse me, the general principles are the same. Okay. That makes sense. I found the one I had in the tap room was called Oversoul. And I think it had just dropped. Oh, nice. So good. Um, thanks. Yeah. I love that that's again that's strata that's strata and citra, citra and those are just like cheater hops but i i love the strata gets featured heavily in that beer and i just love that hop so much so good i i see why you're continuing to to use it um yeah that one that was the first thing that i just grabbed i was like you know what usually i would go to the brewery and have a uh a crisp a crispy any sort of crispy to start off but we were just at salute so we're like, all right, I don't have that much time. I'm, I'll buy one to go. So let me just get straight into the haze. And I was like, oh Jesus Christ, like this is, because you know, I was in Florida for a month, and and a lot of the beers in Florida for it felt a little more restrained in comparison, maybe to to what we're doing up here. Because who wants this big punchy thing 
it's when it's 30 degrees celsius every day or 90 degrees or whatever fahrenheit oh, like man. you weren't in florida for long enough because the okay. beers that are popular in florida are like imperial stouts and like <laughs> sour <Ooh>. beers <laughs> i grabbed some imperial not- the stouts to putter i i'm only half joking actually i should say but people did say you're not the first person to say that to me though yeah agrees that hype there like imperial stouts and like mead and great like i don't don't know but (laughs) well i didn't drink any there i had some at tripping animals like i tried just like a little touch with ignacio but i bought one one or two from florida back but i haven't drank it yet and I didn't get to try that. I just felt like everything overall was just like a touch restraint. It's not even a criticism in any shape or form, just an observation. Yeah. Um, and I noticed the difference in the the only word like punchiness or something of the beer. And look, maybe I I felt like maybe coming from here, we left in at the end of March, and you know our weather isn't too dissimilar to yours. Obviously, it's colder, but you know we still have yeah crappy winters. Um. I was like, maybe it's my palate or something. Like, I'm not, even though I was there for long enough, like maybe my palate was weirdly adjusting to drinking these beers for, you know, it was like, wait, why is it 30 degrees in April? This is weird. Um, So I wasn't sure what it was, but I noticed a a marked difference when I got to North Carolina specifically, which I just thought was an interesting observation. Um, But it could also be, it's just one person as opposed to I didn't have, you know, my girlfriend had a touch of stuff, but she didn't really drink like I did. So... Either way, though, it's it's it was fascinating to to try and see see where you guys were at with that, um, which is cool. great. So when so you were basically not doing much. Did the haze, I guess, as as a part of the the business? I mean, it sounds like if you're open for seven years, um, uh, your and this is four years. Were you and you started with a pale ale, hazy pale ale? Were you brewing haze the entire time, or was it like? Yeah, yeah, we brewed haze. He's probably right out of gates and it was immediately our most popular beer. And we would, you know, this was the good old days. We would have a hundred people lined up for can releases and we'd sell a hundred cases on a Saturday. Uh, And we'd sell out of our double, you know, like that doesn't happen anymore really anywhere, but um, that was, that was definitely us when we first opened and awesome that that's how we built our name for sure um but yeah we've we've tweaked and tweaked and iterated on on those beers and we definitely had some clunkers over the years um but we've learned a lot and my brew team would always like gives me crap because i'm always like i'm never satisfied with the hop aroma or hop flavor like i always want more and it always like needs to pop and like you're right like i'm glad that you felt that way when you came to our brewery because that's something that's really important to me like does it pop is something that i like am always asking my brew team um and if it doesn't pop like what's the point and like Mm. let's add more hops you know (laughs) because that's what people want and like i've there's been plenty of times when we've dry hopped a beer and we were going to package it. And I was just not happy with the hop flavor and aroma. And we dry hopped it again. And like, you know, that's not super smart from a financial perspective maybe, but like 
people pick up on that and customers can tell the difference and you know i don't get it you know it's people want want it to jump out of the glass at you and so do i i want i want it to just absolutely pop out of that glass um and we've there's we do a recirculation we've done everything like we've that's what we're settled we've settled on now as we recirc our dry hops which is a pain but it's like the best way to extract as much hop flavor and aroma from the hops we're using um as we can so whatever any little thing we can to amp it up we mm. we're all about it recirculation what's that yeah so we'll we'll dry hop um and then the next day we'll hook up a pump and literally recirculate it through the fermenter to mix those hops in really well um with sometimes i mean a lot of breweries will rouse with co2 they'll just like pump co2 into the fermenter to get big bubbles to break up um that just has never worked very well for us um you just you just don't get full extraction unless you research in our in, in our experience for our hmm. system and our brewery and our tank geometry it's just it's the best way for us to get as much out of our hops as we can um hmm. there's you know you have to be very careful about Dissolved oxygen pickup um, is a concern, but we've dialed process in um, really well where we're really not getting much at all. Um, so if you do it carefully, it's, it can be done. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, you know, we've gone back and forth over the years, tried everything and that's, that's where we've settled. And I think that's probably where we'll stay for the foreseeable future. Makes sense. Is it a common, I, I feel like it's, you know, I've done a lot of these podcasts, spoken to a lot of people, but I feel like this might be the first time I've heard of this process. Is it, um, is it very common? Or is it um, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon, I would say. I mean, Sierra Nevada, basically the torpedo that they use to dry hop all their beers is essentially a recirculation. They're recirculating beer through the torpedo, which is holding the hops. Uh, so it's a little different because uh, we're adding the hops to the tank and recirculating the tank itself. But mm. there's a there's a handful of brewers. Okay. Yeah, there's a handful of brewers I know that do it, but I would say it's not common. Um, okay. Most brewers I know will just rouse. It's just a pain. You tie up, you have one of your pumps tied up for a few hours, and you have to sanitize hoses, and you're introducing oxygen potentially, which is a, no one likes to do that. Um, so there's there's plenty of downsides to it, but it, for us, it produces the best product. So we're going to keep doing it. I love that. Hey, man, if you worked out what works and what's getting the best results, then that's wicked. Okay, I love that. So that makes sense that the brand was built essentially on haze. I was curious about that. Um, I don't even remember what my friend told me about you guys that convinced me to go, but I think I just looked it up on Instagram. I was like, all right, this feels like the type of place that I'm going to enjoy. So um, that was kind of the vibe I got, but it also didn't feel like you were any sort of like a one trick pony by any means. Like you had quite a large variety, you know, had a whole fridge full of, um, you know, barrel aged stouts. And, uh, and at the time that I was there, which was the um, beginning, very, very like May 1st or something like that. Um, and even like I was even as I was sort of trying to find the uh, the one I had in the tap room, I found that there was a bunch of uh, stouts that I, I had of yours that were fantastic. Just um, 
like I'm talking just like canned stouts. Where the hell was it? Um, oh yeah, cool. I had the pills don't pay bills. That was killer. What was the stout? I, I guess it was just more just like a sort of uh, going into oh, I had, oh the Forever Alone the NZH101 which we'll talk to talk uh, about cool. soon. That was sick. What's the stout? Here we go. The half as lonely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then there was another That's... one that. Yeah, tell tell us about these because these were like sort of mini pastry stouts. So these were just like seven and a half percent. There was a second one that I had as well, which I'll find while you're talking. But um, I was really probably uh, irrational states, maybe the Three Sons and Mostra collab. That's actually that's exactly the one I had. Yes. Yeah, Um, those are again. I think it like speaks to our market, um, the willingness to. Yeah, (laughs) we're. yeah, I don't know. I don't think those beers would do that well in other markets. Um, hmm. They're just like, I think some markets don't respond well to like 8% pastry stouts. They just want the 14 percenters or, or nothing, nothing, you know? Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a good portion of our customer base that comes in and really wants a dark beer and they like the, the pastry stout, but they don't want to be, you know, put on their ass after a pint <laughs> i feel that so we, we don't do them often but they're and like half as lonely as kind of a variant on one of our more popular imperial stouts twice as lonely gotcha um smart we'll be releasing next month at the end of next month um so it's kind of fun to to have like these you know iterations on the same theme um and iterations and drinkability as well. Um, but yeah, they're kind of fun ways to like mix it up and kind of reach a wider audience, uh, at a lower price point. Um, they're not very, I will admit like the reason the big Imperial stouts work from a economics perspective is you can sell a single bottle of them for $25. Um, so these, these like lower ABV pastry stouts and four packs are not as economically viable because <laughs> the adjuncts still cost a ton of money. Um, of course. And you just can't, you can't sell a four pack of cans for $50. So <laughs> you, you end up taking a little, we don't lose money on them, of course, but um, the margins are a little thinner. So we don't brew them often, but they're usually pretty well received when we do. I was, I, that makes sense. I was impressed just because I'm, I, it sounds like you and me are pretty similar. Like I like a lot of the lower ABV beers, the bigger ones I keep, I, I've actually, every Wednesday is my like big beer Wednesday. So I like to have a warm up beer, which is what I was, how I found the other, yeah, like I had the, the one, the irrational state was the other one, uh, you know, which is eight. And the other one was, um, the half is on you was 7.5%. So I'm like, that's money. And then I would go into like a 10% one and that's all I would drink that evening. Like, I only do the the biggest stouts in one night, and I noticed. I thought so. To, to me, I feel like those are fewer and further between. Um, like, I thought it was interesting yeah. that it was a pastry that was less than ten percent because typically they're not. Um, the other interesting thing, which probably I don't know if Americans are as familiar, but like fourteen percent seemed to be the money zone for all of the big pastries or the big stouts like that's not like that here like it's it's way less it's like anywhere between 10 and 12 for the most part which i guess that's not way less but for you know i i could have a one of those beers as a warm-up and still have a 10 percent and be able to 
you know, a walk at the end of the evening. Whereas the 14 percenters, there's no chance of having anything uh, beforehand. Mm -hmm. I just found that was an interesting thing that that was quite common all down the East Coast, whether it was from other half, from tripping animals, from three sons, whatever, from, from you guys, from burial, whatever it might be. It was like basically 14 percent the whole way down. I thought that was an interesting yeah. just observation that you know obviously american everything in america is bigger and and crazier but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah which is great do you know why the what's with the 14 percent ish thing uh i think there's just a bias towards those beers and people think because it's higher alcohol it's just better and more impressive um that's fair that's just honest truth. i think like there's no, like un for better or for worse untapped is very popular and important um you're just the highest rated beers are always going to be the higher abv beers there's just something about the reputation that they have and the bias that drinkers have towards those beers um right i i I'm with you. I don't agree. I think it's much more difficult to brew a four and a half percent Pilsner that's super nuanced and free of off flavors and clean rather than a huge Imperial stout that has a ton of super strong flavors and sweetness and adjuncts and pastry stuff to mask any potential flaws. Um, but you know, it is, it is what it is. People love them and they're great for our business. I respect it totally. And I think there's a time and a place for everything, but yeah, I'm with you. For me, it's like two ounces next to a campfire, like <laughs> on a cold night, but like, Hey, if people want to keep buying our Imperial stouts, more power to them. Let's go. I, yeah, man, I feel you doing one thing I love and I've never seen it in Canada, but I have seen it in the States and I can't remember where, but people were doing these like eight ounce cans of like big ass stouts, like, you know, ten, you know, north of 10% stouts. I was like, this is genius. Cause for that, exactly what you said, like pastries are fun, but they're a lot. And if you're going to have a bottle and the bottles are typically 500 mil maybe, which is, you know, a full pint, like larger than a tall can. Like that's a lot of having 14%. I often don't even, I used to share it with my girlfriend and she's not drinking as much beer as she used to. So it's, it's on me. I'm not trying to waste anything. I don't, I don't like doing that. So it's like, I would prefer them to come in the smaller packaging, but I feel like it just hasn't become a, uh, hasn't really picked up those eight ounce cans. Have you seen those? Do you know what I'm talking about? I I have they're rare, they're very rare in the states. I would okay. I'm all we're all like unique packaging as you, like you can tell with our cans. Oh, these um, are beautiful. They're cans, not. By the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We've love we've worked hard. So cool. Yeah, the, I would love to can stuff in eight ounce cans. I just don't. Again, I think it's just a depends on the market. I just don't think those are as marketable from a from like a financial perspective, I'd have a hard time selling like an eight ounce it. can for 12 bucks or whatever it would be. Hmm. Would that but be people what are it would be? happy to buy a 16 ounce or whatever, 500 mil bottle for 25 bucks. Um, I see what you're saying. So it's like, 
Is that how it's I guess technically you're right. Yeah, it is. So yeah, I, I see what you mean. It is harder to justify this tiny can for 12 bucks, whereas like you get the big bottle and you feel, yeah, it's a bottle, it's an experience. You have to have an opener and probably a knife to take off the wax and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. It's and usually the people that are into it, I feel like you and me are in the minority of I know some people. I get I have a, a friend in Montreal that I still trade with and get him stuff and he's didn't the only stuff I get for him are like double, you know, the double barrel, like one, you know, in a cognac and then in six months in a bourbon barrel for sixteen percent barley wines and stuff. Like like that's what this dude drinks, or double IPAs and that's it. I'm like, all right, you're hardcore. Yeah. So it's like it seems like the people who are into it which sounds like that's a lot of the resident culture fans, which completely makes sense. I'm, I totally, I feel it. They just really like the, you know, go big or go home type of stuff. Whereas, uh, I don't know. It's just not always practical to go through that whole bottle, but um, maybe you and me, it's just, it's just people need to make it for, for cats like us. Yeah. 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 I love it. So shall we go to the next one? I think it's about beer time. What do you reckon? Yeah. Um, for sure. What are you doing, my friend? You- well, for me, oof, I have a like a buffet in this uh, cooler right here. Um, <laughs> I want to keep showcasing the different things that you guys are doing. Do you think the Forever Alone is probably the the move to to showcase that side of things? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that series. Yes. So this, I had the 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 New Zealand hop. And there was another one in a uh, pink can. What was the pink? Maybe it was that the pink can. This one is um, Citra. Speaking Citra, of, that's great. I yep. had, um, um, oh, the, the New Zealand hop, which was, what does, it was called Bract, B-R-A-C-T. Oh, what did that mean? Was that, that like a. Is, so NZ Hops is, is the biggest um, hop company in New Zealand. And they have a. I think it's by invitation only a program called the Bract program, which we're really honored to be a part of. And um, a a pretty small number of brewers around the world are given first uh, dibs to trial these new hop varietals that they're developing. Um, Typically the varieties that we're getting have been, they've been developing for years and they feel like they're pretty close to being marketable and they're kind of looking for last feedback from brewers before they go ahead and name them and put them on the market. Um, I get it. So last, last year, for example, we did one with NZH one Oh two, which was great. And then, and now this year they've named that hop superdelic and superdelic. That's sick. People love it. And yeah, it's a great, I mean, super hypey name. Um, and so this is like the next iteration in that program is NZH 101, um, which is a little confusing that uh, you would have thought they would have started with 101, but alas, here we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we love this one too. It's, I mean, the New Zealand hops are, we're just huge fans of New Zealand hops. Yeah, um, they have just a really unique, and just like characterful quality to them that you don't get from other places. It seems like um, Nectaron is our, probably our favorite hop right now. And oh, yeah. we're lucky to have like a pretty good contract for it. And we're able to select 
we were able to select it this year, which is really cool. Um, have you tried Peacherine? Like Peacherine, we have a contract for Peacherine as well. Um, we love that. Um, love that, one. that was one of our favorite. We did a Forever Alone with that last year, and we actually, I actually misjudged how much we were going to get from um, Freestyle Hops as our hops provider in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And we got less because uh, it was allocated, it was all allocated because it was such a small run of hops that they did for that year. And even even at like a lower hopping rate, the beer still turned out great. Um, so really excited this year to get like a full contract's worth of hops and be able to play around with it on a bigger scale. But yeah, Peacherine, Nectaron are like probably my two favorite hops right now. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, sorry, getting a little sidetracked. But this no, no, this great. series is, is such a fun way to showcase these new hops and and really learn what they each bring to a beer and a blend, a hop blend. Um, I like, I know Citra is like maybe kind of boring in some ways. Cause it's, you know, every beer has Citra in it these days, but I think sometimes it's really interesting to see Citra on its own and like to really understand what it's contributing to each beer. Um, and also like we find it really fun because we're selecting our hops every year. We love to do a new version every year with the new lots that we're getting. So we can kind of see what our new Citra this year is, is bringing to the table. Um, and usually, you know, we, we want it to be pretty similar, but there's usually some differences or small little subtle, subtle differences year to year. Um, but we thought we thought this year's turned out great and we're we're happy with the citra that we have and it's just nice to be able to showcase it on its own amazing i love that um i'm excited the other one i found that i had was cashmere that was the pink one i think when i got it steven actually hooked that up and i think it was coming out the next week he's like yeah like took care of me with that which was great so i got to try like this is why once again i just had such a great experience it really shouts to steven but like Everything was yeah. just so fired. It was I love single hop series for the exact reason that you're talking about, that full true expression over a consistent base. Um and I love that you do I didn't realize that you did like, you know, you're doing it every year. I mean, uh oh this is fresh. This is like only in end of, very end of May. This is less than two weeks yeah. old. Mate, that's amazing. Yeah. Um so whilst I pour that, you are doing a – I'm going to hold it the same one up that you're doing. So you're doing a third crispy. Yep. Radical Empathy is the name of this one. Amazing names, by the way. We'll talk about that in a second. And uh, compared to – I know you were saying that you named them. I, I love it. It's super interesting. Everything is like either funny or engaging as hell. Um this pills compared to the first one was the PBR clone. The second was the Italian pills. And now this bad boy is a German. Yeah, it's more, more German leaning. Um, you know, I'm sure a German brewer would drink some at me for calling it a German <laughs> pill. Um, yeah, it's our interpretation. We'll say that. Um, but yeah, just super crispy. Um, showcasing again those those hops that we get from the farm in in germany oh that's a cool glass way to go yeah um yeah some of our favorite hops from those farms out there and 
it's still a lot of like late edition hopping. So, so some of that hop flavor comes through to the final product, um, but not, not nearly as hoppy as, as the Italian pills. It's not, it's not dry hops, uh, more of a traditional process on that one. Gotcha. Um, killer man. The crispies. I love that you guys are focusing on that. I think it's even cooler as a brewery that would come under the hype, uh, you know, spectrum that you're proactively really going hard um, with the crispies because it's yeah. introducing. It's sort of like putting it in the face of the people who would who would line up for beers um, even more. And I think it's just such an important. That's how I got into it. To be honest, like you know, you get into lagers whatever when you first get into beer and it gets a little boring and then you move on you go through the color wheel and belgians and blah 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 and then through the hype and then the hype gets you back into lagers again which is hilarious and it's thanks to the brewers like you that are like nah man i want this is what i want to drink so i'm going to make it i'm going to make it true to style and like italian one a german one a czech one and all this stuff so it's like you know really and that's just the plain you know not vienna and like you know, Schwartz beers and all that type of stuff. It's just, it's such a nuanced, excuse me, style that maybe is underappreciated just because totally it overwhelms it. everything. Yeah. But I, I will say, I, I do think we're seeing a little cyclical action happening where people are coming back to West coast IPAs and Pilsners yes. and lager. Um, and, you know, I think hazy IPA is not going anywhere. Let's let's be very clear about that. But I do think people's palates went so far in one direction that now they're kind of people are starting to appreciate the nuanced beers and the beers that you can have four or five of um, and not feel totally blasted. Um, your palate totally blasted. Um, and that's, you know, brewers figured that out years ago because <laughs> when you're surrounded by beer all day, the last thing you want to drink is an 8% hazy double IPA. Um, you want to drink a crispy, light, refreshing, dry lager, you know, and that's something that you can keep going back to and doesn't yes. ruin your palate and doesn't totally weigh you down. Um, and I, you know, we're seeing it in our sales and just like general anecdotal, you know, messaging from our customers and just like at festivals and stuff. It's, it's great. Honestly, it's, it's what I was hoping would happen. And I think it's, you know, loggers, no one's ever going to be lining up to buy cans of lager. I know that, but like, if we can just continue to brew them often and make that a big part of our portfolio and, and have healthy sales. That's all we're really looking for. Um, yeah, I think like you said, it's like, it's a great way for non beer drinkers to kind of get introduced to the craft beer scene too. It's like, it's a great entry level, but it's also like something that seasoned beer drinkers, I think are starting to really appreciate more and more. So it's, they're just like appealing for everyone could not agree more i feel like it's like a there's everything you just said as well as like a full circle moment potentially say like there's the people who are the someone said this to me they were like you know if you think about it there's some people who got into beer in the last five years who don't know what an amber lager is or don't know what a nut brown is or or a porter they know crispies they know haze they know pastries they know smoothies that's it i'm like damn that's a good point like you know 
I got in 2011, like I was drinking beer before then, but I didn't know Jack. And then I started really getting into it. And that's when I started exploring long, you know, the hype at that point was uh palette wrecking West coast IPAs that you were sort of referring to earlier. Like Pliny was always the, the grail, um, which I didn't oh, get yeah. to years later. And now it's got to be one of the greatest beers of all time. I understand what you're saying. Like it's just, it's insane. Do you think Pliny's the best beer of all time? Or if you think the Russian river is the greatest, arguably the grass brewery, at least in the continental, you know, North America. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely biased. Uh, they have to be. Yeah. I'm, I was actually one of the rare, I know it was super cool for everyone to say that blind pig was actually their favorite Russian river beer. I was one of the rare ones that preferred Pliny. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Blind pig is great, but yes, I just, there's something about a fresh Pliny that just hits all of the notes. It's just like the perfect West Coast IPA, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they got to be in any conversation. I think it just depends kind of what you're, what you're really talking different. about. There's, yeah, but now nah, they're, they're all, they'll always be number one in my heart for sure. I owe, I owe them, um, every, all, a lot of my success is thanks to them. So that's great, man. It's, I do love, bad. I, I feel that I love seeing breweries that I love have a story like that. I feel like there's so many that got like, you know, I've, there's a brewery here who the brewer had worked at Monkish and at McKellar. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, now knowing that that's where you came from, I'm like, okay. Like, I almost feel like, it's like the pedigree and what that teaches you. It's not even about hyping up that brewery so much as more like, oh, okay, I get it. Like those breweries are at the top in those conversations for very good reasons. So of course, people who were there and, you know, contributed and worked there are able to take those lessons and then apply them to their project and then be as excellent as where they came from. And I think that's, that's so cool. It's, it's like a great thing. Like the folks at those other breweries who have been around for such a long time, should be proud from the, their like progeny as such. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that was, it's always a hard thing about running a brewery like that is people often use it as a stepping stone to do, you know, exactly what I did. Um, and that can be hard for sure. It's, it leads to turnover and hiring people is hard, but there's all, yeah, like you said, I, I think there is, a the other side of that coin is that, you know, you're springboarding people's careers and your brewery has such a good reputation that other people are able to start their careers and have a reputation just based on that. And I would, I would be super happy if brewers that worked at resident culture were able to spin off and do their own thing later because of the experience they had here, you know, that would, that'd make me really proud, even though it would be hard to replace them. Um, I think at the end of the day, we'd be really proud to be the springboard, um, for other people. I love that. I actually hadn't even thought about that. Like that's the next phase obviously of, of this process is going from, yeah, you came from there, you're able to do this and now you're able to contribute and do the exact same thing back, which is the, the cycle. Yeah, man. It's super dope. Okay. You met, but you mentioned West coast though. So West coast is something my friend, I one of my, uh, my friend is a co-host here for most of the episodes and him and I recently did an episode where we just gathered a bunch of on, we're in Ontario here. Like, um, 
from Ontario and Quebec, some of the best West Coast, which was easy to do because there wasn't many that were available. Um, and I was oh, – it's a whole kind of other thing, but, like, I've had two experiences trying to get the double dry hot Pliny, and I've, I've failed both <laughs> times. It's, like, it's my, like – ghost beer that i need to get hold of like one time my friend got it in san diego and he didn't really understand you know the time <laughs> preciousness of sending it so it kind of uh, was months and months so it died and the second time uh it exploded on the fedex truck and then fedex caught it and i wasn't yeah so, uh, i'm like of course and i'm still hurting from that that was in january so i'm still a little heartbroken from that beer but west coast are um I'm very passionate about that style. I was back in the day, came back around. What's the um, what's the vibe on West Coast, whether it's at Resident Culture or sort of North Carolina in general? Yeah, we're we're super pumped. I, I think like they're probably. I mean, of course, our hazy IPA flagship is our best seller, but those are our best selling beers like through Distro right now. They fly like good. Those those. Uh, are selling super fast right now. I think, again, I think it's maybe a cyclical thing. People are coming back down to earth and realizing that it's nice to have a crisp, dry, like refreshing, crushable, hoppy beer rather than one that's, yeah. you know, a little sweeter and blast your face off with hops. <laughs> like, again, there's a time and a place for everything, right? Like, 100%. There's just like more times and more places for West Coast IPAs than there are for hazy IPAs. And I think other people are realizing that too. Um, and we're really digging in on it. I mean, we've dedicated a fermenter to West Coast IPA. Sick. And we have, we've debated making a flagship. Um, we're not sure exactly how it would fit into our portfolio, but we're just doing rotating um, okay. West Coast and they, they, they sell really well for us. And they're, they're, again, it's a beer that the brewers love to drink and brew. Um, so it's, it's, it's checking a lot of boxes for us. Amazing. So when you do the different West coast, are they all completely different? Like, you know, a low ABV, a higher one, are they different hops or are they kind of like same base with different hops? What's your approach? Yeah, we do actually, typically they're all around 7%. We don't do a ton of like double West Coast IPAs. Um, partially, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want people comparing our beer to Russian rivers right out of the gates. Um, so that's somewhat intentional. Um, I like but that. also, again, also it's kind of our market. The, the like 7%ers sell really well for us. Um, but yeah, we actually have done a lot of experimenting um with our west coast ipas which you know might be surprising given my background um but we've we've i don't know every system is different the water here is different than california our tank geometry is different the hops we're getting are different and mm. there's just yes i know the recipe for Pliny, but like it doesn't translate like it's just right. knowing the recipe. Like, there's some special juju. Like, <laughs> my knowledge of water chemistry isn't good enough. Like, I can't make that beer here, even if I had the recipe. So, like, we have we've had to do our own thing and and figure out what works best on our system. And 
we're still tweaking things all the time. And we, we learn a lot from collaborators that we work with. Um, other breweries are such a great source of knowledge. It's such a great part of our industry that people are willing to share their processes and their recipes um, with other brewers. And we learn a lot that way. And we've tweaked our recipes and our, our, our process on the West coast quite a bit. And we've actually uniquely, this is partially something that we I learned at Russian river, but we actually use our house lager yeast to make a lot of our West coast IPAs because it Mm. ferments super cleanly. And we like to keep that yeast healthy and, and in rotation. Um, And we don't really use a lot of, we don't brew a lot of beer with like, a traditional Chico, like West coast IPA yeast, um, like an ale yeast. So it works out from a production standpoint. And I think it also just gives our beers a unique twist. Um, but yeah, that we've, we've found that has worked really well for us. Actually. It's just like a really clean, um, interpretation of the beer that it just lets the hop shine. Um, and gives us like the right mouthfeel. Um, our, yeah, with that, we use Augustiner yeast as our house lager yeast. And that really just translates well. I was, I was hoping, wish I could have sent you one of our, um, West coast IPAs. I didn't, I don't think we had any like fresh ones at the time, but yeah, they're, they're great, man. We're, we're, we're doing lots of fun stuff with them these days. And that's just like a, for me personally, that's like a really fun style to, to try to dial in again. You know, it's like, I feel like for years we just never brewed them and now we're getting to brew them a lot more and we have an opportunity to like dial them in again and, and make it a a focus of our program, which is really cool. Very, very cool. I love to hear that. And I feel like uh, very intelligent by not going for the eight percent to get that immediate comparison i think particularly if you know people are aware of where you're from but also like it's just dope i love that you're still doing it like to like i don't know are they like like here it's not very common like i could probably count on one hand the amount of breweries that i can think of off the top of my head that do either a regular west coast that's great or just even like wrote you know occasional west coasts like it's very few and far between what's aside from you know from the state at at large obviously you guys are doing it are they common or are you guys kind of maybe standing out a little bit yeah i think i think they're becoming more common i would say we're probably i mean there's definitely a handful of breweries that are pushing west coast ipa hard but i don't think it's caught on fully statewide amongst all the breweries um there are definitely some uh, a local brewery, Divine Barrel, who we love. They make great beers. They've like from day one been pushing West Coast IPA. So like got to give credit where credit is due. There's definitely breweries that have always like stuck to their guns and, and brewed West Coast IPAs. But I think more, more are starting to do it. I think we're probably pushing it harder than most for sure. Good. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see if that, if that changes and, and more and more breweries, like you said, start to start to make it more of a focus. Yeah. It seems to be up to the individual brewery. Like, are they into it and are they willing to, you know, 
experiment with it and you know like they do with haze because i feel like you get hazy pale ales hazy ipas hazy double hazy triple you know all of that stuff and i can think of one brewery not even in ontario in quebec that does it from you know five percent up to ten percent um west coast and they're all very different and Mm. they i don't know anyone who does them better than that in canada um but I, I can't think of anyone else that does that level of experimentation with it, which I think is an interest, just an interesting observation again, like, you know, like, okay, well, these guys are doing it, but why is no one else doing it? Um, you know, which yeah. is, which is probably, you know, obviously, you know, sign of the times as such, which is cool. Um, but I, I know it's, it's one of those things, just like with lagers coming back around, it seems obviously you have a different situation, whereas you were sort of, you know, it's in your veins type of thing, which is great. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of drinkers who may be similar to my situation, who've been into it for 10 plus years or something. And, and, you know, coming back around in the last few years, I find myself, you know, I'll drink, you know, if I'm having a night, you know, you drink a crispy, you might drink a haze, maybe a second haze and then be like, ah, give me a West coast now. And because you want or a west coast in between something to break it up a little bit otherwise it all becomes a little samey and and such and you know it doesn't leave with leave you with a ton of options so i was you know i would like to see more breweries doing that but i guess they have to sort of be into it or have a, a customer basis requesting it maybe even i'm not sure yeah. what it would be what it would take to see more of it you obviously got to sell the beer that you make. So if people don't then want it, then, <laughs> then what are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put stuff down people's throats. Trust me. I've tried. Um, <laughs> I bet. I bet. Ultra beers and like the super session beers, like sometimes they just don't, it just doesn't stick um, mm. and you got to move on. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll be, I'm curious. I don't know if the beer um, scene in Canada kind of like trails the U S scene. I know in other countries that's true. Like in yeah, Europe, yeah. they're like a few years behind. Um, but I'd be curious to see if you don't notice that um, change in the next couple of years. I would say previously. Fingers yeah. I I'm right with fingers crossed for sure. Like I want to see it previously. Canada, I think was a lot behind. I feel like now almost on par after my last yeah. trip i'm like wow like canada is actually doing pretty damn good over the last maybe over the over the covid times um i feel like something's changed up here and it's it's actually pretty spectacular and i feel like made me made me really happy as obviously american stuff is always going to be ahead of the game and there's things like um even the small things like the uh the entrepreneurial side which is probably a regulatory thing here in canada but uh almost every brewery had a second tap room somewhere else or multiple mm. locations type of thing whereas that's not very common here at all um but as far as the quality of the beer i was like okay it's pretty sick i feel like the american breweries might not be aware of of that because no, you yeah. guys were so far ahead forever yeah, no, and I, I definitely wasn't trying to say that the Absolutely. U.S. is ahead no, no, no. of You're uh, right. You're right. There. I've heard great things about uh, Canadian beer scene. I, my wife and I have been to Quebec and um, went to a couple. We we were mostly eating our way around the city, but uh, went to a couple of really good breweries there. And in I've Montreal heard, or Quebec City? We were in Montreal. Montreal, I think the brewery we were breweries we were at were more 
like mixed culture focused. Um, I'm forgetting like the name. Was Dunham one of them? Might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dunham was one of them. And there was one other one that I'm blanking on, but they're great. They're great. And I've heard great things about the Toronto scene as well. I know like Bellwoods is doing some great I stuff. Think, yeah. I've, I haven't had much of their beer, but I've heard great things. And um, I've, yeah, I've, I follow along a little bit. I have some friends who live in Toronto and they're kind of in the beer scene. Actually our logistics company, brew movers shout out. <laughs> hey. uh, one, of, one of the partners is based in Toronto. Um, they do all, a lot of our like logistics for us, but he's always harping on the Toronto beer scene. I I would love to get up there at some point. I've heard great things. It's, it'd be, it's great, man. And like, I've been that I'm like, I'm from Australia and I'm out, I've been out here for like 12 years, but like, because I've lived in Montreal and my girlfriend's from Toronto and we now live just outside of Toronto. Like I've all, I was always coming back and forth. So I always felt like I was like the bridge guy. Cause I had no, you know, align or, or loyalty as such. So I'm just like, why don't we, why doesn't everyone just like work together, come up? So yeah, I, I feel, I would love to see more of that. And now that we're traveling more, we didn't travel much over the last few years. So getting back on the road has been the greatest thing. Um, and hence the discovery period and, and seeing you guys just blew my mind. And it, it was just such a fantastic experience for me that I just, I would love to see more. I feel like beforehand, I could see why American breweries almost might have looked at it as maybe being a favor to Canadian beer because it was always behind and obviously everywhere else was. But I feel like at this point, um, I feel like you it would feel pretty like a, a fair thing, a fair situation. And I would love to see more of that with the breweries and stuff. So, yeah, man, like, look, if I could ever connect you with anybody at any point, I, I would be more than happy to do that. Um, I would, I would just love to see more things more awesome. cool things happen whether you guys coming up here doing some collabs them coming down to you and doing some collabs and you know it's happening a bit i'm noticing over the border it was happening with maybe quebec over the border of vermont and here we're right above uh, it's actually closer for me to go to buffalo than it is to go to toronto um right. you know, we're, we're like right there so like you know some great stuff happening in western new york as well so I, i've seen you know third moon yep. out here they did a collab with fifth frame recently which was super great so I'm like, okay, it's happening. So, you know, it's exciting. I just love seeing it. And I feel like it's it's going to be interesting for you guys too to be all like sharing the knowledge. And now you can probably, you know, without all the restrictions and stuff, you can actually physically go to the places and, and, and do these collaborations oh, yeah. and hang out. And no, I would love to. It's definitely on my list. I, I definitely would love to see that more. But um, very, very cool with the West Coast. And so that, that makes me happy that you guys are doing that. So hopefully you'll end up, uh, you know, translating that to maybe a uh you know land on a flagship or something that you you'll push out which would be yeah i, I, I like the idea of that it's sick yeah um, thanks yeah man your barrel program as well as something i want to touch on um i did notice at the time when i was there at the beginning of may there was a uh i feel like you had a whole bunch of stuff that had just come out a, a series of bottles i actually have one of them here um excuse me the this was from a series right this particular bottle is it the, the one that i sent you yes yeah that was um a horace uh aged ales collab series that we did um they came he came and visited us during covid basically um we all sat outside by the fire and um that's so sick we kind of caused the beer and we put it into barrels that was 
you know, a year and a half ago, I forget the exact date. And we put, we filled one Buffalo trace barrel, two and two cognac barrels. And I think that was it. It was like a very small batch. And when, and he came back this year, normally we wouldn't touch our barrels until after, you know, 16 months, but he was, he came by to visit uh, Kyle from Horace and we were like, let's taste the barrels and see how they're coming along. Uh, probably won't be ready, but like, it'll be fun. And we, we sat around and I poured samples and we all tasted it and looked at each other and we were like, Oh my gosh, like this is a, this is ready. And B, this is like one of the best stouts that we've ever made. Like, wow. This needs to go into bottle ASAP. Um, so we released this, the bourbon barrel beer by itself, just a single barrel. Um, didn't want to mess with that one too much. The cognac was really fun. I think those that was the first cognac-aged beer. The one you have is a cognac barrel beer. With Ugandan um, vanilla. With the vanilla. So we did three. We just did the straight-up cognac. We did vanilla, and we did, we did coconut. And so uh, we just – his, like – I don't know if you've had his beers before, but his, like, adjuncting rates are totally insane with, like, <laughs> vanilla and – so we, we, we didn't quite go as high as he normally does, but, um, we can't sell our beers for $45 a bottle. So I can't justify putting the amounts of adjuncts that he does. Um, That's fair. I'm sure insane. Um, but for us, these were insane. Um, and I think it really came through to the final products. It just like the cognac barrels for starters were awesome. It's just like much more unique, nuanced, kind of figgy dark fruit caramel flavors that you don't always get from bourbon, which can often, I mean, it's always great, but they can get to taste the same. Um, after a while, you don't get a ton of variation and nuance, um, like barrel to barrel, mm. but the cognac is such a nice change of pace. Um, just like a much different flavor profile than we normally see in our barrel aged beers. And it worked really well with the adjuncts. Uh, the coconut one was awesome. And then the vanilla just works great with all those flavor combinations. And we just blasted it with a bunch of vanilla. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think that series is probably the best stout series we've released. Um, Mm arguably um it's definitely the most unique uh but we were really happy with it that's for sure you do you have a large barrel program we do we probably have i mean i think we're on barrel 150 or something by now a lot of those have been released so we don't have 150 barrels And, sitting there. No, we don't use them. They they get uh, sent to pasture once we empty them. Um, but yeah, probably on hand we have about seventy or eighty barrels of clean beer. We actually still have a pretty big mixed culture program that we need to start dedicating some time to. It's just kind of fallen by the wayside, um, just because yeah. that is just not a priority from a sales perspective. But 
yeah, the stouts are great for us. We try to do one per month and it's only released through the tap room um, generally. And they still, that seems to be the one beer that we can still get a, a good turnout um, and a good response uh, from customers on. And they usually sell, sell out pretty quickly. Um, and if they don't, if they don't sell out right away, then there'll be a few stragglers on available for purchase at the brewery for a couple weeks after, but, um, generally we can move through a pretty good amount, um, pretty quickly, which is nice. Um, so those are always really great releases for us. And I think we've developed a little bit of a reputation for them, which is, which is to me, it's funny just because when I started, I was like, Gross. Imperial stouts are gross, like super sweet. Like I never want to drink these like West coast IPAs, lagers, like that's all we're going to drink. Like it honestly took a few years of my partners, like prodding me to make them um, before I finally succumbed to it. And, you know, there's nothing fun about brewing them. I'll be honest. It's like, it's so much grain. Like the, the brew days are grueling we boil them usually overnight like the adjuncting is always a nightmare like having to pull out hundreds of pounds of wet coconut from a tank is not fun <laughs> but the end result is like a crazy beer that people go crazy for um can only be achieved through all that uh hard work so they're fun i mean they're 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 interesting and it's always fun to like throw a bunch of new stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Um, but we can't, can't deny that it's, uh, it's been really beneficial to our, our brand and our, our business for sure. Are you into it now? Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely grown to appreciate them a lot more. Um, okay. I, Again, like I said earlier, I think there's a time and a place for everything. And there, there are times and places when like, I will enjoy drinking like a small four ounce pour of an Imperial stout. Um, and I certainly like have taken a challenge on and enjoy. It's, it's interesting for me because I don't drink them personally very often and I'm, we're brewing them for a very specific customer base who don't really share the same palate that I have. And they're after something that's much different than I'm after. So I've had to really like put myself in their position and learn what the customer wants hmm. from those beers and, and kind of change my thought process on how to, how to formulate them and, and, and blend them and brew them and adjunct them. Uh, so it's like a product that the people that are buying it really want. Um, so that's been, that's been an interesting challenge for sure. It's definitely not, hasn't been easy. And again, it's like this, we just went through this last, last week, we're blending a, a barrel aged stout, um, with coffee and, I just, I just knew we tasted it and it tasted pretty good, but we just knew that it was a little thin and hot and the coffee was a little on the bitter side. And I just know that people 
want a sweeter, rounder, softer, more like luscious body and mouthfeel and like pastry kind of flavor. And we were about to bottle it and I was like, you know what, like we have to add cocoa butter to this um, because I know it's going to give it that like pastry quality that people are looking for. And it was, you know, and like in previous years, I definitely would have just packaged that and been like, this is the coffee. This is the stout. Like it's good. I like it. Mm -hmm. These people are going to drink it and they'll buy it. And if they don't like it, then screw them, whatever. Um, But I think like this beer really benefited and is a much better beer for having us having stepped back and taken a real look at it and changed our thinking on it and changed the beer um, based on what we thought people would want. And sometimes the people are right, you know, like I think it's a more balanced beer now. And um, in years past, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that. But uh, so I've been learning (laughs) and we've, we've been learning as a team. Yeah. That's fascinating. What's cocoa butter? In I, I know it is like a skin cream. Yeah, right. It's like it's literally a huge block that's like fifty, it's like twenty twenty kilo block, maybe twenty-five kilo block of Damn. just so it's just like a white it looks like uh I mean it looks like cocoa, it's like coconut oil, like if it, if coconut oil had been like coagulated and hard. And it's just like, it's honestly our favorite, one of our favorite adjuncts now. It, it's mm. like so unique and imparts this really like luscious, creamy, like pastry, like marshmallowy kind of like flavor, but also like smooths out the mouthfeel it feels like too. So it's really mm. versatile and just kind of like rounds and smooths out the beer and kind of like melds the adjuncts together for us. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Um, that was a, I have to give credit to burial beer, which I think you also visited them. I did. They, I picked up cocoa butter from burial when we were doing one of our collabs together and really enjoyed how that beer turned out. So we've continued That's to use cool. it, but yeah, I never would have thought it's crazy. Like we just have to like, chip away at this big block of cocoa butter and we just <laughs> get into chunks and put it in a bag and then recirculate it and it works. Jeez. It's great. That's fascinating. Yeah. I've never heard of that in, in this sense. So, I mean, it makes sense. I can exactly picture what you're, you're talking about. And I guess it's just probably yeah. concentrated coconut in a, whatever, similar to the oil yeah. form. Like it's a not coconut. Like, that's not coconut. the best. Like, no, it's cocoa. It's like, it's like oh. the fat from cocoa like from the cocoa mm. beans or whatever it is yeah yeah but it lo- it does look a lot like coconut oil when it's like i hate to use the word coagulated no it's <laughs> i know what you mean does that sound very appealing but yeah i can see why that would make a uh a stout super you said creamy, yeah, like I can, you know, particularly those yeah. like bigger ABVs that just kind of deliver that buttery sort of thing to it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. See, this is what I feel like. This is the things you're talking about. I think I don't think Canadian breweries are doing this yet, with regard to the pastry stuff. So I think that's why I mean we're getting close. We're getting pretty damn close. 
there's a few things like that that uh, obviously pastry stats. Someone told me the pastry stats were basically from Florida. That's sort of the the place. This <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with that. I, that's I was joking earlier, but only half joking. They've a lot of the like, yeah. pastry stout breweries have come out of Florida, and I think it's really taken off from there. Mm. They could make a strong argument for sure. I like that. It's fascinating. The one thing we didn't really touch on was um, just to to give, you know, obviously we have pe- people from all over listening and watching, but the North Carolina scene, like I said, you know, I, I went to Asheville, I went to Burial, and then I went to Salud, and I went to Resident Culture. And that was my main experience, and everything was fantastic. Like, I, I can't express how how impressed I was with the whole, with everything that I did. It was just so dope. I didn't know anybody at any of the places. I didn't have like uh, someone walk us around and all that type of thing. Like we just went there as patrons and then ate and drank and, and it was just, it was so sick. Like if you could summarize the North Carolina scene for, cause basically I'm, I want to convince people to go there. Cause I really feel like if you're not going there for beer, like even my girlfriend and I were like, we need to go back. Like, cause Charlotte was our, like, that seems like a cool stop off. I, I've always liked basketball since I was a kid. I was like, Charlotte Hornets. We stayed at the hotel that's attached to the stadium. Um, nice. you know, whatever. And, and Charlotte reminded me of, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And it reminded me of Melbourne, something stupid. The downtown court looked exactly like it. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> and it was such a, everything was just so nice in the city. And it was like, it was just such a cr- really cool experience that I had zero expectations. I think that's almost like the best thing because I was like, I don't know, Charlotte, let's let's see, yeah. let's see, you know. And it was so dope. I picked everywhere for beer. Obviously, the way we were staying, I was like, okay, sick. I'm gonna go to this place. I know there's good beer in North Carolina, blah, blah blah. But like, yeah, if you could paint the picture, if you were to sell North Carolina craft, you know, craft beer to anybody from outside the state who would consider visiting like you know what's it about you know what can people expect what's the vibe yeah no i i mean i kind of touched on this earlier but the craft beer scene here is actually really mature because we've had really lenient beer laws in north carolina for a long time so it just naturally led to north carolina having some of the first craft beer breweries in the country and the scene really exploded especially out in Asheville um, and it's just kind of spread throughout the state and you know in a state where craft beer has been around for a long time the breweries are you know I think you naturally have to step up your game a little bit because the, the, the beer drinking public here is familiar with craft beer and they know a good beer from a bad beer and I think in some ways it's honestly I don't, I won't say hurt us, but it's like made it more challenging. Um, cause I think if resident culture was plopped in some other market, we would crush it even harder and like mm. would maybe not nowadays, but like, you know, would have had even longer lines and sold out of our beer faster. But like that whole hype beer culture almost like, doesn't translate super well to this state, I think, because I think the beer drinkers are just like past that at this point. And like, they've been around craft beer for so long that it's like, it's not a novelty here. It's like just part of the, part of the culture. Um, so, you know, they know, they know good beer from bad beer, um, which 
means there's a lot of really good breweries and so it's a tough market. Um, Charlotte in particular has been challenging even for us the last couple of years. I mean, COVID obviously totally changed everything for everyone and made everything more difficult um, no matter where you are. But there's in a place like Asheville, they at least have like a really strong beer tourism, um, uh, you know, community and in there where people are, you know, popping from brewery to brewery and they just go to Asheville to visit breweries. Whereas Charlotte is more, it's less, there's less of a tourist scene here. So it's, you're relying a lot on regulars and locals and, there's probably 50 breweries in Charlotte now. It's it's a big city. I mean, there's a million people here, but still it's tough to, people don't venture outside of their neighborhoods super often. And you really gotta, it's, it's, you have to make great beer, of course, but it goes beyond that. And I think breweries in North Carolina are just like, we get that you have to make good beer. We're also, we're having to be really cognizant of, our brand and the customer experience and all that goes along with it because the competition is, is pretty stiff and there's just a lot of breweries in the state and um, you got to step it up. So there's, that's a good thing for consumers and people coming to North Carolina to drink beer because there's, there's a lot of good beer and the breweries that aren't making good beer are not going to survive. I like that though. I feel like that kind of puts people in their um, defensive, maybe, yeah. and makes everybody step up. Because if it's if everything around you is so killer, then you aren't gonna, yeah, like you said, aren't gonna be able to survive unless you're doing something that stands out or that's sort of attracting people, that's bringing them in. And and you know, I, I guess that you know, what is it? The rising tide, what is it? Yeah. The tide ships. ships thing. Yeah, that that say, you know, yeah. I, I just feel like that was like there was a different it was just North Carolina to me coming from the south and then coming up all of a sudden I was like I was just so deeply impressed because I didn't know the extent of how um impeccable things were. So it was like the level of impressed I was was just it was I was just I couldn't believe it I was like this is fucking crazy I don't know why no I, I almost like I said at the very beginning I don't know why nobody had told me enough and I feel like even you know I feel like you guys burial were the two sort of main ones that my friend actually were like you those are the two that everyone's talking about so if you want to go to those two cool and hear a bunch of other ones so I chose to go to the two that spoke to me the most and it worked out very, very well because I felt like that was both, you know, went to burial and that was really, really dope. And then went to you guys uh, after we checked into the hotel. I was like, this is this is sick. And it was just it was just very impressive. I feel like it was it was different. A lot. It was very different to hear. Like if you know Canadians are listening or watching to look at where you're going to go, you know, we're, we're right above New York or, you know, if you're in Quebec above Vermont and those two uh, states are obviously incredible, but it's not that far to, to zip down. You probably have to do a one nighter in like DC or Virginia or something. And then, and then zip what it really wasn't that far to, for such a yeah, phenomenal experience. Super close. Toronto's and, what? Two and a half hour flight or something from Charlotte. I, I was even talking driving, but there's that's even easier. Oh, wow. like you're really, yeah, okay. we drove. We drive to Florida. So because we have a we had a dog, so wow. we wanted to, yeah, and we wanted the yeah. experience, and so we drove 
on the way back, that's why we drove from Miami to Orlando, we stayed the night. We went to Atlanta for the weekend because my girlfriend always wanted to go to Atlanta. And the Georgia beer was cool. We found some interesting stuff out there. They had some cool bottle shops and some other places. And then after Atlanta, we went Atlanta to, we were supposed to go Atlanta to Charlotte. And then I looked at the map. I'm like, oh, Asheville's right there. This has been on my bucket list for years. Let's just go past there real quick. So we were like in Asheville for an hour or two. Like it wasn't much. We were very, very quick. Um, had a few drinks, had some food, grabbed some stuff to go, went to the hotel, went to Salud, went to Resident Culture. So it was it was very quick and it was easily the place that if I could have extended that trip, that's what I, that's where I would have extended the trip. It was that impressive. We went to Richmond the next day. I've been to Richmond like three times. I love Richmond, Virginia and DC and you know, there's a bunch of great stuff out there. But like even if yep. you're gonna drive, it's not even that difficult. I, I don't know. I just I'm not a big fan of flying, but you know, obviously I'm from Australia, so I have to deal with flying, but I would prefer to drive if I can now that it's just so easy. Like, and there's so many places, if you're going to do a fun little road trip, I feel like that could be like the destination. You could check a whole bunch of places along the way and then have your mind blown in North Carolina and then, you know, head on back. It's just, it seems sort of perfect to me. Like, yeah, well, you, you definitely picked the, the good ones. I mean, burial is, uh, setting, they've been setting trends, not just in North Carolina, but nationally for years now. And they're like really the brewery that we look up to and strive mm-hmm. to be like, um, and then salute is they're some of our best friends, but yeah, their, their bottle shop is iconic in North Carolina. Um, they've won, I think three or four years in a row, best, best bottle shop or best beer bar in the country wow and they've like really helped bring craft beer knowledge to charlotte and north carolina and and then the brewery the brewery that they've started is obviously awesome as well just great people so not surprised you had a good time um and i agree with everything you've said those are those are some great spots and good people yeah, man, it's it's definitely like in my girlfriend and I was it was the immediate thing was like, yo, let's get back here, like even this summer, if we're able to, because it was the end of our trip, so we were pretty tired even by the time we got there, because you know what it's like when you're traveling yeah. and and, and blah, 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 driving, it's a it's a lot, but you know if you were just flying out, it'd be so, so easy. And you rent a car, fly into Charlotte. I've flown to the Charlotte airport in the past before. And it's, it's, you know, it's a nice little connecting spot. So you're able to get a, a, a rental and cruise around the city's small, but, um, gorgeous. Everything was really clean. Everyone was really nice. It was just like such a pleasant experience. Um, so I do, I wanted well, to make we sure. Recommendations for you the next time you come, there's a lot of great breweries that, that you, didn't have time to to hit this this trip but uh there's a there's a lot that next time you should uh next time you come down let me know oh i 100 percent will brother i'm very excited to do that so the last question what i should probably do was to just before we wrap it up i'll even crack the last beer just to to show one more uh off something that we probably a style that we haven't touched on tonight and then we can uh, bring it on home so should we do the um well, when I say we, I mean I, because <laughs> you're doing yeah. the crispies. The um, should we do the Miami Vice, the collab with Tripping Animals. Yeah, sure. Yeah, a, that was a fun one. Yeah, man. Which yeah, that was uh, Miami. But obviously, they're in Miami. Um, Miami Vice is 
a strawberry daiquiri and a pina colada mixed together. Mm. And this one, this is, uh, this one, I actually didn't even tell this to the tripping animals guys, but we like, we added so much coconut to this beer <laughs> and we, we did it in our bright tank and transferred the beer onto the, into the bright on top of the coconut. And like, we, were blown away by the amount of coconut to the point where it was like chew, it was way too much coconut. And it just like <laughs> had this like slick, oily, coconutty, salty mouthfeel. And we were like, oh man, this is like weird. I'm not sure if I'm into this. And it was one of those moments like that, again, we've learned a lot over the years. Like if you're not crazy about it, like don't sell it, like let's fix, fix it. it and make it better. And like we transferred it and added more strawberry. And like, as soon as we transferred it off of the coconut, the beer like improved by 80%. Okay. Um, I think there's just something about sitting on all that coconut. It was just like, I don't know, soaking up all the oil or something. A little too much. Um, which made us like breathe a sigh of relief. But yeah, this beer has like pineapple, obviously coconut and then strawberry puree, a little bit of lime. Um, so kind of just trying to hit all those flavors of a strawberry daiquiri and the pina colada. It's again, like we started with this, let's finish with it. Like beer is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be too serious. Like Couldn't this is just more. a fun, fun, silly beer that we are, uh, we decided to do with some friends. We've been, we've been really liking, um, cocktail inspired sours as well. It's been a way for us to like take a style that to, I think, I think it's lost a little bit of its allure um, over the years, just cause people are just throwing thousands of pounds of fruit at a beer and calling it a sour beer. And, yeah. and, you know, I, again, like people, some people love that and um, no, no discredit to anyone doing that. Like we've certainly done it in the past, but it, like from a creative perspective loses a little bit of its allure. So it's been fun doing these beers that are a little more nuanced. And um, this one is, isn't even as nuanced as like some of the cocktail ones we've been doing with like some gin botanicals and spices and, and like orgeau and, and like these like aperitif type things. Like we have some pretty fun ones coming down the pipeline. Um, but it's been like a fun way to scratch our creative itch um, while still appealing to the cut. We have a big customer base that just loves sour beer and there's always going to be people that come in and that's the only thing they drink. Um, so we always got to have it on. Um, so it's fun to mix it up by taking inspiration from cocktails and trying to translate it. We've been doing a lot of like barrel age stuff too. We have a, we have some rum barrel aged sour that uh, we actually need to package that soon. That one's a really fun. We have some in the scowl barrels actually that we're gonna do like a, a blood orange mezcal margarita type thing. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah, that that's stuff fun. is fun. Yeah, I love that. The one like obviously we're talking about you guys being hype, you know, with the haze and the crispies and the and the pastries. So would you say you do a lot of smoothie sours? Because I, I don't recall 
even specifically looking for it. I think I went there and I was like, I need to try the haze. Um, yeah, no, we don't, we're not super into it. I mean, actually that fancy rejects is probably the most fruit we've put in a beer in a while. And it was like, it gave our centrifuge all sorts of troubles. Um, but you like, I don't even think you can consider a beer, a pastry beer if you're centrifuging it. Uh, but that, that, that we've done it a few times and it just like never really works for us. I don't know. We were worried about re-fermentation and that just wasn't our style. And I, I just didn't think those beers tasted all that great. I've had some from other breweries that were good and we just weren't able to nail that. And it just never felt like who we were. So the sours we've done have always been a little more restrained. The, I say restrained. I'm sure my my brewers would like absolutely die laughing if I said restrained, given the amount of fruit we're still adding to these, but we're still re-fermenting it all. And it's not like, like chunky smoothie beer that we're, we're serving. That was what I was. Yeah. Okay. So the smoothie thing seems to be, is it really popular in, in Charlotte or North Carolina or in general, or is it like, uh, uh, it's not super pop. I think like in Florida, for example, it's much more popular. In our market, there aren't any breweries I can think of doing smoothie beers like that. Hmm, um, interesting. Never really caught them, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. They're, yeah. yeah, they're just, they present all sorts of problems like packaging and quality control wise. They're not, they're not easy no. to put your through. Or to put through your system, I should say. Not at all. It's um, it's always been a thing with people, you know, complaining about the packaging and stuff. I definitely get it. It's you know, like a lot of fr fruit that could re-ferment in the in the can, and you know, some problems could arise. And and so I feel like they get a bad rap, but it seems like they're almost regional with how popular, or at least brewery yeah. specific with that and i noticed they were everywhere in florida so i didn't drink as much maybe because i felt like it was just like they were everywhere so i didn't go as hard as to try as many as i normally would have done um but this is this is great this is exactly what you're saying it is i almost feel like it's like a, um I, I don't know what it like a goza almost almost getting saltiness yeah yeah there was like a the coconut lent like a salty flavor to it which was unexpected um and it was like really salty at first. And then we kind of corrected it a little bit, but I do think it kind of like adds it to works. that, like that like mouthfeel that mm. like uh, that kind of luscious coconut yeah. pina colada mouthfeel type thing, creamy thing. It's fascinating. That is actually a technique we'll use sometimes on us on outs in particular, if we think it's a little too thin or, um, hot will we will add salt and it will it'll kind of smooth out the mouthfeel a little bit interesting yeah. yeah this is it's it's uh i feel like most sours at least from you know from from the states i'm seeing these days are like you know straight up like smoothie style but this is like a nice middle ground it's exactly what you said it was like a pina colada meets a strawberry daiquiri with the the berries are really present while the lime it is in there the coconut like it's this is delicious it's like and that sort of like saline mouthfeel without uh, without being a gozo like it's 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 super unique this is great 
It's fascinating. Cool. Thank you. And I love that you guys are collaborating. Yeah. So, go on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a departure for us for sure. Like that is not okay. uh, a normal style of beer. We normally do a lot of, um, but cool. Thank you. Yeah, their tripping animals are great. Great dudes. Uh, yeah. Good friends with them, and they're doing awesome stuff down there. So you guys seem to be the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap it up was that you guys are really doing a lot of collabs with a lot of, uh, you know, this was one of the things I noticed, like a lot of the breweries that, you know, I seem to enjoy seem to be working with each other, which is, you know, the, the, I, you know, I met the dudes at Tripping Animals, super cool dudes. Um, so I was very happy to see that this, you know, this was one of the beers that you chose to, to, to shoot out. And I was like, ah, oh, sick, this is great. Cause we just had them on a couple episodes ago. Um, you know, and spend some time on really trying to get to know the different scenes that I hadn't really spent as much time in as well. So like you guys are uh, pretty tapped in, I guess, to the, the, the culture, the scene of, of breweries that are in your ilk of, of what one would consider a hype brewery, I guess is the, you know, yeah. way to, to yeah. look at it. I don't think it's any way negative. I think it's completely positive because that's what I'm looking for personally. But yeah, it just seems like, yeah, if you want to just quickly speak to sort of, you know, the, the connections that you guys have had with so many other breweries and how they all came about. I mean, is it festivals? Is it just, you know, obviously Burial Ira down the road, so it's a different story. But like, you know, for people like Tripping Animals, like how did you connect with all of these folks? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think it's, it's just kind of naturally happens through the festival scene when, you know, you get invited to a, a hype festival, you, you inevitably end up throwing back a bunch of beers with the brewers that are there and making friendship and, you know, the, the friendship and community and um, camaraderie is the best part of the industry. And oh, yeah, we've made so many great friends over the years and they we just happen to be hanging in the same circles with, you know, other great breweries at great festivals and they all happen to be really great hype breweries, you know, that those are just our friends, you know, they're, they're, when we were starting, we definitely saw the value in associating ourselves with, with those breweries where possible, but it, it was never done in like, a, um, what's the word in um like intentional yeah it was i mean like it was it was always done with the best of intentions i guess like we weren't just like trying to hang out with hype breweries so that we could further our brand it was because we enjoyed being friends with them and we learned a lot from them and there was a lot we could share with each other and um you know we established a lot of long-term friendships with people that are you know still to this day i'll i text them almost daily and they're just good friends and um our businesses are very similar and we have a lot to share and contribute to each other so kind of organically you 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 end up kind of bonding with those people and and it, it leads to brewing brewing with them um, quite frequently. And then it's just a fun excuse. At the end of the day, it's like, we like these people. Let's, we want to hang out. Like, let's, let's 
have an excuse to hang out with the people that we like. So let's brew a beer and we can uh, expense it and call it a day. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like really the, the festival scene is how that, how that really works itself out, at least for us. I think that's true of a lot of breweries. Um, it's a little different post COVID and that whole, like the last few years, the festivals are starting to come back. Um, but I think brewers are, brewers are struggling right now. I think there's just, there's a lot of breweries going out of business and money is tight. Um, costs are up and yeah, that's right. I think travel for the, for the festivals, some breweries are tightening up. We are certainly too. Um, so it's, you know, I think people are just picking and choosing more, th more thoughtfully. Um, so it's, it's a little different than it used to be, but still we're, we try our best to, to connect with the, the brewers and people that we love. And uh, there's truly just a lot of great people out there in the industry. Um, and we've just been lucky to be surrounded by great breweries and uh, they happen to also be really great people too. Love that, man. And that, that works out pretty well when they're, uh, when you genuinely get along with the people that are in that similar genre, if you want to call it, uh, you know, of brewery than you guys so it's uh yeah yeah it's not entirely surprising in my experience as well so like when i'm gravitating towards breweries and i'm seeing like more i'm ah oh, okay i see i see i see and everyone just keeps knowing the same people and but i'm like all right i get it i see what's going on here and it's a uh, it's very very cool man but um yeah this is like it's, it's so good like once again like i i want to impress like I just feel like you guys are just doing some really, really incredible stuff. And this was dope to hear the story. And I kind of, I, I feel like it all kind of like, it all makes sense now. Why things are so dope and, and, and the approach that you personally have to the, to the beers itself, which is obviously the main attractor here. And, you know, just a fan of the brand and like the, the all black cans. So if people are listening and not watching, like go check out resident culture on Instagram and, uh, um, look at the cans. They're just gorgeous. Everything was just such a fantastic experience, which drew me a lot, which is what I was looking for because I forgot what it was like to explore. It had been years. Like I had been, we were in Vermont the week before lockdowns in March 2020. And that was the last time we mm. did anything. So we like really held off doing a lot of stuff and getting back to the exploring and really going deep. Like, ah, oh, fuck it. We're just going out for like, you know, a month and a half or whatever. And like going all the way to Florida mm -hmm. and then coming all the way up and back and just really like getting deep again. It was like, oh man, this is, it's what I'm here for. I love this. And it was just really cool to find, uh, uh you know, you guys for found resident culture to find Charlotte and North Carolina is just like, you know, be a destinations that impressed me beyond words. And, and, you know, man, like everything you're doing is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, congrats on all the success clearly it's well deserved you put in your time all of these beers are fa fantastic that we've had tonight everything i've had previously is fantastic i'm very excited to get into the the barrel stuff and man very impressed okay. i really appreciate thanks, it thanks man appreciate it thanks for the for the time and the the platform and uh yeah i hope you enjoy the rest of those beers and share them with the ones that you love Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely need to do this again, you know, even like once a year or something, check in, see what's going on. Like, you know, and if I get back down, I'll 100% let, you know, I'm hoping to, to do that this summer. If it doesn't work out the next year for sure, because, uh, we're trying to be in Florida more often. Once you realize that 
the weather can be like that year round. You're like, what mm -hmm. am I doing up here? This is crazy. So that, that was sort of our goal. Kind know. of. You wouldn't like it so much if you went in like August. I don't think we were in. I agree with you. Oh, we were from Australia. Well, I'm from the south of Australia, which is not that far from Antarctica. So it's not the warmest of places in the world. If I was in Queensland, which is the Florida of Australia, different story. Um, you know, <laughs> Melbourne gets as cold as London does, like, you know, five degrees Celsius. I don't know. I think that's probably in the 40s or 50s type of thing, maybe. Um, but when we – so, like, then I came to Canada, and then you get the minus 30s, minus 40s Celsius, which is <laughs> – starts to become the same as Fahrenheit. I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. I know. I found that out today. That's interesting. Negative 40. That's the same in <laughs> Celsius and Fahrenheit. So they have that yeah. in Montreal. When we lived in Montreal, we were there for 10 years. You walk outside and your entire nose freezes and you have oh. to like flare it to kind of break the freeze. Yeah. Your breath uh, and the, the, the wetness oh. from your breath on any facial hair, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. So then when we oh, went to – florida for all the quebec people go to florida and i i, I never yeah. really understood why and it just i don't know why it's it clicked for us sometime in the last little bit that's why this year we're like we're gonna escape this winter for a little bit and we're like yo this is crazy so we're basically trying to do that more often but the driving one is a, a function of that we have a little pup which he can get on a plane but i don't know i, I like you yeah. know we have to rent a car if we're gonna you know miami's not the most you know, you need a car in Florida. Yeah. So we're like, all right, might as well just drive down. But driving down allowed us to go through places like North Carolina and, you know, Virginia and so on and so forth. So, you know, for me, this was just such a dope experience to really get to dig in to more uh, of what you guys are all about after, uh, you know, discovering you guys. So, yeah, man, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, very, yeah, very man. cool. Um, what we're going to do, uh, I appreciate you, bro. I want to take the thumbnail. I'm going to take a, a screenshot. If you want to hold up some of the cans that you were drinking to, tonight, and then we'll uh, we'll finish up on air, and then we'll finish up off air. Okay. No, one hang on. at a time. We're going to do one screenshot. So hold up. I've only got one hand because I got to use the other hand to hold up the uh, the goddamn uh, the thing here. But you can probably hold a few. There we go. Yeah. I can... Yeah. There we go. Beautiful. Give him that cheesy. There we go. Glorious. Uh, my man, where can everybody find Resident Culture online? Yeah, if you're in uh, North Carolina, you can. we can actually ship you beer directly. Um, yeah, residentculture.com, residentculturebrewing.com, uh, Instagram, of course. Um, I think it's just at Resident Culture. Uh, we Triple are often out. traveling for festivals. Um, we were just up in Ann Arbor, or our beer was at least, um, which isn't too far from you guys. I guess it's no. a little bit of different, but um, yeah, hours. we get around to festivals. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. Uh, then we just we do distribute around Virginia, uh, South Carolina, a little bit in Tennessee, a little bit in Florida. Um, so yeah, we get, we're getting around these days. But yeah, North Carolina is the spot to get us for sure. Make sure you get down. Check them out. Yes, it's at Resident Culture on Instagram. All the information is there as far as the uh, the opening hours and everything. Grab some beer. 
um, Chris, you're a champion, brother. I really appreciate your time, man. Um, stick around. I'm going to wrap this up on air, then we'll finish up uh, off air. But um, couldn't be more impressed. You're a champion. Everybody, thank you for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below and hit the notification bell so you know when all the new episodes drop. Follow us everywhere at BAOS Podcast. And check out the long-form audio. Every Wednesday, we drop audio in the morning the video in the evening and you're going to hear attractive gentlemen like uncle chris talk about craft beer in north carolina and beyond guys thank you so much for your time we'll see you in the next episode cheers